This is The Guardian. I should say before we start, today's episode contains some swearing. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of Comfort Eating. I am just throwing together another highbrow creation here in my kitchen. This is one of my more sheepish snacks. This is boiled eggs mixed in a cup with curry powder and a lovely splodge of salad cream. I'm going to spread this on toast. This is a very much eating, standing up in the kitchen, waiting for a guest snack. So today, Big Zoo is coming over to my home. I think the word entertainer probably describes him. But within that, I'm including cook, rapper and grime artist, TV presenter and radio DJ too. Now, Zoo is very much on the same page as us when it comes to food being comforting and personal. And his cookbook is full of family recipes that he's adapted and dishes he's picked up and perfected while recording his BAFTA-winning TV show, Big Eats. In fact, this might be what you know him best for, touring the country in a food van with his two best mates, cooking up bespoke dishes for celebs that surprise and delight It was a breath of fresh air when it first burst onto our screens, mostly because Zoo refuses to water himself down to fit into any telly norms. With Zoo, it's all about big laughs and big flavours, so I'm excited to learn what part comfort food has played in making him this way. Big Zoo. Welcome to Comfort Eating. Hello, how you doing? I'm really well. Last time I saw you, you just moved somewhere and yeah. you were trying to think of a way to get to know your neighbours. Yeah. And you told me that you'd bought a box 
of your own cookbooks. Yep. <laughs> and you'd walk down the street giving them to various neighbours. And I've thought about that ever since because it, I think it's so sweet and so lovely and, and a little bit out there. Why was it important for you to do that? Why Why was it the cookbook? So I moved to an Orthodox Jewish community and being the non-Jewish household, we just thought it would be respectful to kind of like let everyone know, hi, we're here. We live on the roads. And I just thought it might be easier for people to like digest who I am yeah. if I like show them exactly who I am. So showing them I had a cookbook was like the greatest thing I ever done because yeah. they all like me in a tracksuit just knocking on your door. You know what I mean? They would open the door and be like, what do you want? And I'm like, oh, I just moved to um number. Da, da, da. Just want to say hi. Also, I have a cookbook. <laughs> and when I showed them the cookbook, it's me on the cookbook. So it's kind of like, it was always surreal for them because they always look at me, they'd be like, well, you do have a cookbook because that is yeah. you. Yes. So I give it to them. <laughs> so and, it melted people the moment yep, that you... Yeah, it just instant friendship. Oh. And what it led to was them trying to prove to me that they can cook. Oh. So what would happen is all my neighbours would like knock on my door, give me food... And obviously they have the Sabbath, which is all about like people coming together and not working and relaxing and eating food. And I learned a lot about like Jewish cuisine and how you prepare food for the Sabbath. Cause obviously you're not allowed to cook when it's the yeah, Sabbath. Yeah. So there's like a thing called 24 hour stew, which is like a stew that just sits there on a hot plate for 24 hours. <laughs> it's a bit weird, but it's beautiful. Yeah. People know you for your show Big Eats. So yes. I am excited to see exactly what is this big eat that you've brought. I'm going to open it. Open it. It is. It's warm. It's yeah. got, I'm, I'm taking the plate off the top. I don't know what's in here. Come on, do it. Oh no. <laughs> this is the first time anyone's brought this. So is it super noodles? It's not super noodles, but it is instant oh, noodles. Are they just chicken instant noodles? These are chicken ones. And you're not adding anything to them? You can, but just, what's the point? Everything white, comes in one. Darling, why gild the lily? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to I'm going in. It smells so good as well. Mm. It's the sauce. It's the it's the broth, isn't yeah. it? Because it, it is very, very chemically. <laughs> so when would you eat this? Growing up, when my mum didn't make dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which couldn't be bothered. And it was a late night snack. Sorry, let me stop eating. No, you're allowed to eat them. I'll you're be back. You're allowed to eat them. That's the first time somebody's brought packet noodles. And I don't know why, because packet noodles are really comforting. They're part of life. There's something quite bland, but satisfying. And yeah. And like pushing them into your face is like love, isn't it? Yeah, it's- they're like... People do these weird videos where they like fix cracks with noodles and stuff. I don't yeah, know if you've seen them. I've seen that. So it's like, why am I putting this in my body? I mean, <laughs> that is, worth it. that's a question. I normally crush two packets together in my hand. Yeah. yeah. Boil them up and like hover over it and like get a nice little face steam while I eat it. It's like when you put like vapor rub in a bowl. You've yeah. got a towel over your head. Yeah. It's that same feeling, but noodle. It's all those delicious chemicals though, isn't it? We love the chemicals.
your mum arrived here in the UK from Sierra Leone when she was four months pregnant with you. Yeah. And after you were born, you lived, just the two of you, in West London. Mm. Paint me a picture of what your mother was like then. Mum was very scandalous. She's got a lot of energy. Fiery woman. So I had to endure everything at all times. Mama, scandalous. scandalous. What, what, why is your mother scandalous? She's just like what the Kardashians were before the Kardashians were a thing. She likes a nice dress. Loves a dress. Hair, makeup, jewelry, Hair, everything. Makeup, I used to sit full. in the nail shop for two hours. <laughs> then go to the salon and sit there in the salon. What did you do when you were sitting there? Just sit there. Just soak in the atmosphere. Just listening to the women talking. Oh my God. And because our mom's African, I'm young. Young kids can't really talk too much in African households. That's how it is. Yeah. When you're a young man, young girl, doesn't matter. You're not supposed to talk to the adults when the adults are adulting. But because I was so like intrigued in everything, I thought I was the smartest kid in the world. I used to always get involved in my mom's conversations. I used to get really annoyed when I say something smart. So like they'll be talking about politics and be like, well, actually, you know, that's wrong. And <laughs> mom will look at me like, don't do that. Just let me do my hair. Let me get this girl. She got, she'll have the curlers in. I used to spend a lot of time in those places because my mom used to love looking on point. I saw your mother at the... <laughs> Baftas. <laughs> Your mother is a attractive woman. She's a beautiful lady. She is. Oh, and the Baftas. Oh, my, yeah. So we got her a stylist, and she didn't use them. So yeah, they got her, like they got her all her clothes and stuff. And she was like, actually, I don't really like what they got me to. I said, Mom, why did you make me pay for them? She said, I just wanted to get the option. I said, Okay. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna go Harvey Nichols. I said, All right, Mom. This is a woman that absolutely knows her own mind. <laughs> Did you, are you like that? Did you get that from her? You know what? It made me be the opposite. Now, I'm a, the older I get, the more I like understand, like, if you look good, you feel good. But growing up, I was so scruffy. I used to get my hair cut and not get it shaped up. I used to not get a markup, like a buzz cut. I used to leave the house, mom would be like, is that what you're wearing? She'd be like, yeah. What? <laughs> She's like, no, no. Tell me, if you were to think back then, you're with your mother, what do you eat together? Does she cook? Is there yeah, recipes mom, so that she does? Yeah, a lot. A lot of Sierra Leonean food, jollof rice. See, I always think that jollof, every time I hear somebody that this, that's told me the recipe, it's always different, isn't yeah, it? Where depending on where you are. Exactly, from where it's come from. So how did your mum cook it? It's normally an onion tomato based stew, which is cooked down. The rice is added, and then it's left to steam. And the rice soaks up all that onion tomato flavour, and it comes out very tomato-y. We stew our veg rather than blend it. So Nigeria and Ghana, they blend their onion, tomato, and peppers, whereas Sierra Leone, we stew them down. I think, I don't know what that comes from. I always say the joke that, because Nigeria and Ghana have more money than Sierra Leone, they have more access to blenders. Whereas Sierra Leone, we don't really have electricity like that. So they probably have to stew the, stew the veg because they never chance to blend it. Because I'm like, what African auntie back in the hood is blending onions, tomatoes? But that's how they do it. They blend theirs. So Sierra Leone has the best jollof. In my humble opinion. I also say, because we're a poorer country, we've got less things to do. <laughs> less money to make. More time to cook. 
more time to care about the quality of our food. Whereas Nigeria, Ghana, guys are busy. (laughs) (laughs) So your mum's making these delicious stews from the place that she's from. Yep. Filled with love and care and trying to recreate. How did you feel about that? First few years, it was very, it was almost inedible because my mum had the hand of an African lady. So she would cook with immense amounts of scotch bonnet to the point where I would cry (laughs) when dinner is served. Because my mum would give me a nice big plate. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to eat this. (laughs) Have one spoon, can't eat it. And I'm like, mum, this happened again. (laughs) And then that would force me to put the plate to the side and probably have some toast or some canned food. What kind of canned food? Oh, like macaroni cheese in a can. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's It's a little bit indulgent, isn't it? It took her a couple of years to learn her hand. So what she started doing after time was not chopping the scotch bonnet in, boiling it on top of the shoe, serving mine, and then mashing the pepper in, and then having hers. So you've said you were scruffy looking, but if I met you when you were seven, who would I be meeting? What were you like? I was really happy. Just used to laugh a lot. All I cared about was laughing. Loved laughter. That was like my main, I don't know, point of life was just to laugh. So when me and my mum was, we moved around before we settled in West London. We lived in a place called the Hotel. It's like, a, you know, like one of those big mansions. Yeah. But it was converted into little flats, little rooms with shared bathrooms. And it was for refugees. It was for like people waiting to find their stay. And I remember we was stay- we stayed there for about two years and I was like four and I walked in and there was this kid at the front door and he was like, oh, you're, you're Zuhair, innit? I said, who are you? He's like, oh, my dad is the manager of this place. Instantly, me and him became really close. So he was like, he was like my best friend growing up and me and him used to spend a lot of time together. Yeah. Mr. Zaki, me and him spent all day just being stupid. But it feels like your memories of that time where you were living, it's just filled with laughter. I definitely knew this isn't the best position to be in in life. Why do I share a room with my (laughs) mum? Why do we not have a whole house? Mm. I I went to primary school in Marlebone. So, like, I was growing up around, like, posh kids. But then also I was growing up around people that were in the same position as me. So, like, my primary school was a split because Marlebone is in between, like, obviously the beautiful Marlebone Baker Street. And then it's also Edgeware Road and... You have like the juxtaposition of what you have in West London, which is like the poor and the rich rubbing shoulders. So like going to one of my friends' houses, dad was a director. And I went to the house and I kid you not, their dog had a bigger room than me and my mom's house. Yeah. And I was like, I remember, I was like, bro, why is your dog's room so big? They're like, he needs room. I said, okay. And I remember opening the sweet cupboard, yeah. And I was like, fam. This is mad. I, I open the sweet because my, mom, my mom's like classic African. They don't really like sweets too much. Yeah. They're not very sweet toothy. Yeah. So when I opened the sweet cupboard, I was like, yo, this is different. <laughs> so yeah. growing up, like I grew up around people that had incredible lives. But so I always knew that we weren't in the easiest positions. But my mom raised me to be very grateful where I was. 
And I think we masked a lot of the pain with laughter and smiles and happiness. But there was also the dark side where you kind of know, this is a bit tough. I think growing up, I suppressed a lot of it, which is why when I got older, I started making music. A lot of my music is about my childhood and my mother and the strains that we went through and growing up out of that. So I kind of feel like the first time I ever expressed how I really felt was through my music. When did you first start to cook? Um, it was when I, my mum was pregnant with my little brother when I was 10 years old. Right. She was going through a lot. She wasn't She was in her best mind state. Things were rocky with her, her partner at the time. She got to a point where she was very, she was heavily pregnant, very tired, very drained. She just stopped cooking dinner. It's eventually just like, I'll come home and be like, my mom's dinner. She's like, I haven't made anything. And I'm like, okay, what can I do? I looked in the fridge, there was some tortellini. And my mum used to always boil tortellini, overcook. She used to overcook it because she used to think you boil tortellini like how you boil dry pasta. So she would boil it for 10 minutes. Really supposed to boil tortellini for two minutes. So I read the packaging, boiled it for two minutes, put some sauce in the microwave, grated some cheese on top. No, it wasn't hard, but I did it. And when I did it, my mum was like, Zoo, this pasta is undercooked. What have you done? <laughs> and I said, Mum, no, no, no. Classic argue with my mum style. Got the package out of the bin. Said, look, what does it say there? It says, boil for two minutes. Start, start eating it again. She's like, you know what? Maybe this is nice. Because <laughs> her one, you know, the stuffing used to come out and... yeah. Used to like go into the water. So. Well, that that tortellini, yeah, it just really needs just kind of placed into water and then taken out. Yeah, two minutes, not a long, not a long. Yeah, time. whereas she used to wait for ten. But when you first serve it, I mean, how does that feel? It was at the time. It was kind of like I just wanted to eat. Yeah. <laughs> but when I got the satisfaction of proving my mom wrong, I was like, yes, uh-huh. I like this. Like that feeling. You love being right, don't you? Oh my god, I have a problem. <laughs> I'm working on it now. I just want I just want I want to be right. It's that I want to be correct, if that makes sense. I'd want things to go correct for everyone. So sometimes I feel like I can be overbearing and I can share my opinion. Because I'm normally I'm the logistics man. I have all my friends. Yeah. I'm the one that books the cab. I'm the one that books the hotel. I'm the one that books the flight. I'm the one that says, we're going here to eat dinner. We're doing this tomorrow. We're all going bowling. I'm that guy. I've always been that guy. But when I was young, that's all I wanted to be. Because it came from that African mentality of children are outside, out of mind. You're not, you kind of like, the adults are right. So I always wanted to prove my mum that regardless of how young I am, I'm right. And I was really bright when I was young. Like I was like in top set everything. I was in a gifted and talented. I was like, I was a very smart child. So I always wanted to prove to my mom that, you know what? Listen to me, maybe. <laughs> and then when I made that tortellini, it was like, this is mad. Like, I am right. The pasta is way better than yours. But I also felt the, the, the joy of like, she's tired and I've helped her. Yeah. You know, it was important for me to do something for her to help at that time. And when I did that, then I started getting more into it. Then I started like making breakfast for her, making breakfast in bed. Obviously, being I was a young fat man, so I love food. Young tubby man, so like for me, it's like I gave myself the power to eat more, <laughs> which is even better because like, oh, like food, but can't make it. Oh, now I can. <laughs> 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. You present Big Eats. Yeah. And this is alongside two of these people you've known all the way through this. Yeah, from two of your school. oldest childhood friends, Tubsy and Hyder. Yes. You met them at school. Yeah. So when do you start cooking with them? It, it kind of stemmed from we spent a lot of money on takeaway. So I used to always we used to always go to my friend's house and like buy a chicken cottage and spend like five pounds on a meal. And I like times are tight. So like five pounds is a lot of money to get away with. Um especially when you're a young man who's trying to like enjoy your life. So I used to be like, lads, give me your money. I'm going to go to the shop and I'm going to cook. And it'll save us money. And we'll eat more. So I used to always make roast chicken and like sides and like a macaroni cheese. Made some spuds, made some carrots. I made a coleslaw. So Were Tubbsy and Hyder into cooking too? Or were they just... Yeah, they, so Tubbsy and Hyder did food tech with me. Right. And then growing up, when, when I used to cook for my friends, I would like... Hyder, we always cook at Hyder's house, we cook at Tubbsy's house, cook at my house. We all used to go to each other's house and just cook. When you left school, what were you thinking about doing with your life? I didn't really know. One of my head of years stopped me, said, Zoo, what are you doing with your life? I looked at him, I said, Nick, I don't know. <laughs> he was like to me, I used to always think Nick was like an annoying guy. I, can I swear? Of course you can. I used to think Nick was a prick. Yeah. But he stopped me in the end of like, my end of my second year of college and he said to me what are you doing with your life I said Nick I'm not going to lie I don't know and you don't care so why are you talking to me he said, he said bro it's my job to care I said okay he said yeah. we'll get you to talk to a career advisor I spoke to this lady she said Zoo what are you good at I said I'm not going to lie I don't know <laughs> she said what do you think you're good at I said you know what I've always been good at talking she said okay we can start from there mm-hmm. a job that's, that goes with talking um, is maybe social care I was like, okay, how can I work in social care if I'm 17? She said, well, you can start working in youth work. I said, okay, I don't know how that works, but let's give it a try. <laughs> Got really yeah. bad grades. Wow, I'm going to become a youth worker. So did my first year, everything was fine. Second year, music started picking up. I'm doing shows in the night, going to uni in the morning. Came to a point in my life, I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to drop out and just double down on music. And then one day with my music, help young people. And then I dropped out. I dropped out and I started working for Uber Eats. So I deliver food. So that's kind of like full circle for me. You dropped out of uni to pursue music. Yeah. You end up getting spotted and doing Big Eats. <laughs> yeah. So you knew you could cook, but the magic behind Big Eats is the chat between you and your guest. Yeah. What was it like learning to interview? I had a radio show from when I was 20, uh, 21. Yeah. So radio really helped me in terms of interviewing, but interviewing people like 
Jimmy Carr, Phil Wang, um, Rosie Jones. That's the first, like, the first series was all these incredible comedians and interviewing them was really nerve wracking. But luckily, the guests kind of just, working in, in TV kind of, it's different to music. Music is like a battle. If there's a show or live show, everyone's trying to be the best. I want to have the best set. I want everyone to love my bit. Whereas telly is like, you come together. What was sick is that first series of Big Eats is we was really cooking for people when they was doing their live gig. Yeah. So Jimmy Carr is performing in Fairfield Halls in Croydon. He's actually doing a show and he's also getting paid to eat with me after his show. So the interview is really easy. It's like, I'm asking about food that he loves, his life. Who has been your most memorable guest to talk to so far? I'm Rosie Jones. I never had a conversation with someone with cerebral palsy. Yeah. Let alone made a television program with them. So, yeah. At the time when this big fear, oh, I've got all these questions to ask her. Like, my brother's autistic. And I see, sometimes I see the way people talk to him, and I'm like, you know, you could just talk yeah. to him normally. So, like, understanding that at the time was like a big moment for me. Cause I was like, I've never done this before. So, how am I gonna approach this? to form and he realised she's absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> then me and her just start getting really close. We start yeah. having this crazy on-screen moment where like we're just really cool. Cooler than anyone I spoke to in that in that series. Don't get me wrong. Are you telling me that you fell in love a little bit with Rosie I fell Jones? In <laughs> she's very lovable. She told me if she wasn't lesbian, <laughs> she would um, be my girlfriend. I was really excited. <laughs> now she <laughs> Like, I met incredible people in the first season. People that really showed me a lot of love, you know. People like Ed Gamble, who did our pilot and was really easy and just took away all the nerves. And people like Phil Wang, who's hilarious. But me and Rosie, there was just a moment where it was just like, you get this random brother, this M, this music man from the hood. Yeah. And then... Rosie from up north, who's this crazy larger than life woman, she ate it. the way she ate it was really crazy. The food was all over her face and stuff. It was it was so funny, but she loved it. And it just showed, it kind of proved to me that what we're doing here is beautiful. To what extent has filming the show changed your friendship with Tubsy and Hyder? I hate them more. Love them more. Hyder's called the Method Man, because Hyder has an intense issue when it comes to you doing stuff wrong so if you if there was a way to whisk an egg and you're whisking it and we're filming he'll whisper in my ear oh you know you should do it like this i'm like you do know i'm trying to present the show or like or if you're frying something oh you know you should use a spatula like this or if you're if the recipe says add corn flour and i call it cornstarch by accident he knows that it's cornflower. He's one of them guys. Does he not know that Big Zoo likes to be correct? Yes. So it's the worst combo of all time. <laughs> like but it. it makes it makes really good telly. And it tests our relationship. Because sometimes on camera, I want to fly kick him. But I can't because yeah. people are watching. Um, but what, what the crew love is when I get annoyed at Haida, they love it because they're like, Zoo, he's just trying to help. And I'm like, I'm like, you don't know what he's trying to do. He's trying to sabotage me. He wants me to look like a dickhead. But really, Hyder can't function without telling you, you know, that's wrong. So, series three. Yeah. 
you're two BAFTAs deep now. I don't know how. <laughs> how did you celebrate after you won those awards? Um, so I'm like teetotal. I don't drink alcohol right now. So we was in the BAFTA celebrations. Everyone's having champagne and everyone's eating this terrible BAFTA food. Award ceremony food. Oh, it was so bad. And I only eat halal food. Mm-hmm. So it was even worse because I'm eating the veg option. <laughs> well, right. Talk me through it. What is BAFTA vegetarian option for a man I, who's honestly, just won two BAFTAs? What did they serve you? Honestly, it was just like a carrot. <laughs> it was like a carrot. <laughs> a fancy like a, carrot. I looked at Haida. I looked at Tubbs. I asked my production manager who was there. I said, I know we're not on set. Can you order us a kebab? She was like, I don't know if we can get it in. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit <laughs> weird to get to the venue. So I looked at everyone. Behind me is Ant and Deck. Everyone's being really nice. We want two bathrooms. Everyone talks to us. I've gone, guys, I might leave. And they were like, you can't leave. Like, the party hasn't started. There's a party. Gokwan's DJing. I was like, yeah. I just want a kebab. And they were like, they were like, you know what, Zoo? Go get a kebab. And I said, cool. Hugged everyone. Say goodbye to everyone. Took about 15 minutes. And I went to a place called Marouche in um, Knightsbridge, which never closes and has a seating area. Got there. It was full. We had two bathers in our hands. Oh my God. I've gone to the boss, man. There was like a little table. I said, listen, we'll sit on that one table. There's five of us. We'll stand and eat up, please. I'm so hungry. I will literally stand, just put the food out. He's like, we can't do it. You're going to be in the way. I've got two bathers in my hands, like in holding them. I said, brother, I just won two bathers. For a food show. Surely you'll let me eat here. He's like, brother, I don't know what BAFTA is. I said, oh my God, this is a bit. So then these three lads are sitting on a, a, a five-seater table. They go, oh my God, you're Big Zoo. I just saw your speech. Wait, are those the BAFTAs? I'm like, bro, do you want to hold it? <laughs> I gave it to them. They're like to me, listen, we're going to eat our food quickly and you can sit down. I said, no, don't do that. They said, no, listen, you're going to sit down. So they picked up their food scoffed it, let us sit down, sat down, and we ordered the whole entire restaurant. And then, yeah. And then I went to Mo Gilligan had an after party. Went to Mo Gilligan's after party with food filled with kebab, with the BAFTAs in hand, walked in. There was a moment. All my peers that I've known for many years just showed me a lot of love, a lot of hugs, a lot of kisses, dancing, vibes. Then after like 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, you know, it's time to go home. Went home. Put the bathers on our mantelpiece. Me, Tubbs, and Hannah, we just sat there and just looked at them. And we're like, this is actually real. Yeah. In your BAFTA acceptance speech, you highlighted the importance of representation mm-hmm. by celebrating the immigrant heritage of all three of you. Yeah. Who were you hoping was listening to that in particular? Well, when I get into telly, I used to think every, like, marginalised group has problems, whether it's, like, black people, whether it's women, whether it's people in the LGBTQ plus community. There's so many issues in telly. But my one was that I'm black, so my issue is to help black people. But then... I started learning more about telly, more about production, more about who works behind it. Then I'm like, oh, wait, maybe this is a class problem. Maybe everyone that owns the production companies, works in the channels, 
are not from working class backgrounds. So then that means that they're not represented. Because I used to think, why why am I not represented as a black man? Why is she not represented as a woman? Why why is a lot of the people that make television old white men? I'm like, oh, because of their class. Then I started learning that, wait, you can't just only have working class people in telly because then to make great things, you need all types of thinkers. But if we live in a country that is a very high percentage of working class people, how comes telly is over 50% from the middle class? doesn't make sense because then we're not represented. So it took me a long time to get to that point in my career where I understood what I was battling. But my main thing was, when I did that speech, was to reach people that come from the working class and people that are not from it. I wanted to reach everyone. I wanted everyone to just understand that I don't want to margin, I don't want, I didn't want to go up there and just say, I did this for black people, which is what, three years ago, if you asked me if I won a BAFTA, what would I say? I probably would have said that. But I didn't do it for that. I did it just for people to know that we are here. Was it off the top of your head? Yeah. <laughs> but I had an idea of what I wanted to say. I didn't think I was going to win. So like people telling me, you should write a speech. Oh, you should. I said, no, I'll never do that. Because I, I want things to be natural. I want things to be like what, how I feel at the time. What I definitely said before is that I want to say, Haider's from Kurdistan, my mom's from Sierra Leone, and Tabzi's from Iraq and Iran. Because I really wanted to say, I wanted to say the places out loud for people to know we are from there, but we are very British. How I sound, how I look, how I walk, how I talk. I'm from England, mate. But my roots are not from here. They're from, especially in times of Brexit, in times of the UK crisis, talks around migrating and war and all these things. For me, it's really important to highlight that. If it wasn't for my mum being a refugee in this country, I wouldn't be here doing this. If it wasn't for Haider coming from Kurdistan and his dad migrating his whole family to this country, he wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Tubsy's family leaving Iran and coming to England, we wouldn't be here. So that was that was very important for me. Big Zoo, now BAFTA winner. Mm is a real persona that people recognise. You've got this big personality, boundless energy, you're always on, always funny. It does look like it might be exhausting <laughs> sometimes. Are there ever times when it just feels like a bit of a burden because you're the entertainer? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever feel it until the past two years, but yeah, I was definitely burnt out. And like an idiot, I went on holiday to LA thinking that would help, but it doesn't because LA is like you're going to work. <laughs> you don't, can't switch off in LA. And then I just got to a place where I was kind of like resenting being around people. I just wanted to be on my own. Talked about it was real with my management, was real with my friends about it. And I just needed people to tell me that's okay. So a lot of people did. And then it helped me kind of understand just because you're privileged to be somewhere, just because you have these incredible opportunities, you're doing these incredible things, doesn't mean you're not allowed to resent parts of it. Because normally you have to enjoy the whole journey, but not being able to switch off, not being able to be annoyed at things, not being able to have a reaction to stuff, it started wearing at me, but then 
But it's very public what you do. You know, yeah. you've made a persona on socials a lot of a lot of it, and mm-hmm. that means that people think they own you. Yeah. <laughs> and you can never be grumpy zoo. Mm-mm. And you can't hide because you're very tall <laughs> and you look like Big Zoo. <laughs> Luckily, I, t- I get to take time off mm. and reflect and be with my friends. And that's normally what helps me like circle back to life. And on the way here, I'm booking like my first proper holiday. Yes. That I haven't haven't done in a while. Me, Tubbs and Hyder, we're gonna go hopefully to South America yeah. and go eat some food. And I can't wait. I'm so happy that I've got that in. I've only it's only now I've realised the importance of like having downtime and because like growing up, it was just like work, 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 work hard. You need to work hard. If you want to get there, go work hard. You, you come from nothing. What should you do? Work hard. It, now I'm like, okay, obviously I'm very lucky that I can be in a comfortable position where I can take time off. But working 100% all the time is not good for your mental. I've got this thing called high on cancelled plans. <laughs> and that is when suddenly a gap in your diary opens up because someone cancels and it's the (laughs) biggest, (laughs) purest high you can get because you can suddenly be in your house Mm. and you can be in your pants. Yeah. (laughs) What do you do in that case when suddenly you've got some time to look after you right now? What do you do? Do, What do you cook for yourself? You know what? Because cooking is my life. Yeah. I don't cook all the time at home. But if I do, I make a tomato sauce. It's just like my favourite thing to do is fry your garlic and then cook your tomatoes for like two to three hours. Let it just simmer. Come back and you get the richest, most beautiful tomato sauce. I, I used to put you cook tomato sauce from a jar. Then I learned that is that Italian grandmas across the world hate that. What's the secret ingredient, though? There's so many. Mine is, I love chilli. So chilli is mine. People like to put, like, the parmesan rind and put, like, make a bolognese with, like, milk and stuff. Or I'm really simple. Lots of garlic, lots of olive oil. Let it cook for two hours. It's going to be nice. And is that ultimate comfort food? Tomato sauce and pasta. It's like, because you taste the difference when it's a good tomato sauce. I've got to finish up by asking another question about mummy. Go ahead. What does she make of all this telly stuff? Oh, I... What about the awards, the fame? She loves it. Everything I have, all the energy I have, the way I am, my spirit, everything comes from her. Yeah. She's just very happy to see me in my element. She just she doesn't really care about the knock-on effect, like all the stuff in terms of society, in terms of insp- inspiring people, in terms of like representation. All of that doesn't really worry her. She's just like, is my son having fun? And yeah. can you pay my bills? <laughs> and I'm doing both, so. <laughs> when you're together now, who cooks? I love cooking for her. The more I develop in my cooking, what I learn, the more I love cooking for her because she's seen me cook from when I was just boiling that tortellini, from when I just first learned how to make a spaghetti bolognese, from when I first learned how to make a roast, from when I first... All those things, she was the one that tasted everything. So now when I cook for her, she's like astonished. She's like, whoa, didn't know you could do that. 
<laughs> it's just, it's also just nice making that feel nice. When you think about how you both were when it was just you two together, when you were little, tiny, yeah. tiny, how does it feel now that you can look out for her and look after her? It's weird. Because my mum is mummy, isn't it? So she'll always, whenever I tell my mum I'm ill or I'm feeling down or anything, my mum is the first person to like, how can I help? How can I do this? And I'm like, mum, it's time for me to help you. So like, nah, it's beautiful that I can take care of her, not just financially, but like mentally, because she knows that I'm out here. I'm doing good things in my life. And there's people from where I grew up, people from where I come from who didn't grow up to do good things in their life. They grew up and went on the wrong road. And my, I think my mom's getting to that point where she appreciates just me being me. And the BAFTA stuff, that was the first time she's ever speechless, like properly speechless. Mom normally is the one, like she'll command the room. She'll walk in, she'll, like she walked in here now, she would stop this conversation. You and her will be talking. We won't talk anymore. You know what I mean? Because she's she's just she's just got incredible energy. But that day, she did not know what to do. She was lost. And seeing my mum be like speechless. What's funny, when we won the second award, everyone let me go on my own. My mum's like, my mum started walking to come with me. And they had to grab her and be like, no, Aisha, don't go. And I looked at her and she looked, she looked at me like, can you do it on your own? Oh. You know? When I walked away, and I look back at her, she's in this room full of all these famous people that she watches on telly every day because my mom loves telly. And I, me- I just remember like looking at her like, I got this. And then I went and I did it. And like I remember just looking at me like, she, I, I think for that, for, at that moment, my mom was like, this is what I made. <sighs> yeah. You know? Big Zero. Thank you for comforting with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Emma Roberts. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Kathy Drysdale. Music and sound design is by Axel Cacoutier and this episode was mixed by Solomon King. If you like Comfort Eating, please leave us a review. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And use the hashtag ComfortEatingPod to get in touch about the podcast or share your own comfort foods. This is The Guardian.